Hello, everybody. It's great to be with you today. Uh, hopefully you are enjoying all that comes with summer. I know that we are full on in the summer swing at this point, which means for a lot of folks, a lot of traveling and maybe some vacation. And so in light of that, I am especially glad that we can connect this way today to worship and to turn our focus to God. And so as we continue to do that, we're going to get ready to dive into scripture together. As we do, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you've been with us the last number of weeks, you might remember we have jumped into a sermon series entitled Community. And what this series is really about is exploring the thing that we call church and understanding that it's God's people together in community that help us to live out what it means to be church. And so each week we've been examining a different element that makes God's community unique uh, to be the church. And so if we rewind a number of weeks, if we go back to the week of Pentecost, on that first week of this series, I shared about the birth of this community, this thing called church, and the power and the excitement and the unleashing of the Holy Spirit that is part of God's community. And then you might remember Pastor Janet shared with us about Hesed love, and that that kind of holy distinctive love, loving kindness, is one of the distinctive markers of the community of God. And then last week, Mitch shared with us about the idea of play. And that's something we don't often think about in association with the community of God or even in connection with God. And yet, there is a lot of scriptural foundation to understand how we serve a play-filled God and all that comes with that. Those are elements that begin to make God's community called the church uh, distinct and unique and wonderful. And so as we come together today, the element that we're gonna be focusing on is understanding that in God's community, we also discover purpose. Purpose is an incredibly significant thing for us to think about and start to get our minds around. In fact, there may not be any more bigger, more universal, more timeless question than the question of what is your purpose? Uh, sometimes we also ask things like, what are you passionate about? Uh, where do you discover meaning that is going to be meaningful in you and your life? And how do you begin to live that out? These are the kinds of things that we would call meta questions, questions that encompass all of life, questions that apply to every single human being at one level or another. And they're questions that are so big and so distinctive and so significant that they ultimately end up guiding everything that we do and informing everything that we do. Now, in the grand scheme of things, when we ask a question like, should I paint the bathroom blue or green or yellow? Honestly, it does not really matter because whatever color we paint the bathroom, it's not gonna determine how we live other than maybe make us a little bit grumpy if we discover we put a color up that actually we really don't like. But when we ask a question like, what is your purpose? Well, that is a question that gets at the core of our being and who we are. It's a question that's going to determine to some extent how we live. It is a powerful, significant question. And this is a question that God has a lot to say about. And it's a question that the community of God has a lot to say about. And yet, it's so easy for us week in and week out to gloss right past this significant topic. 
And so what if when we gathered together, such as we're doing right now online, what if when we did this beyond Sunday mornings or joining online in this time or joining in an Acts Network group or joining wherever it is that we connect and worship with God through First Church, what if it was more than just our weekly routine? What if we saw this not as just some religious gesture in which we're coming together at this point? What if we saw this particular time joining with the community of God as absolutely crucial to our understanding of who we are and what our purpose is and then how to live that out so that we can live a life filled with passion and fervor? What if we saw this community that we are connected to helping us understand the purpose in everything that we did. That kind of framework would literally change how we approach every aspect of our lives, from our jobs, to our families, to our relationships, to our time with our kids, to anything else that we do in life. It would change all of those things because God's community allows us to discover our purpose and our passion in connection with God so that we then might live it out. Here's why this is important. If we do not discover our purpose in a truthful way inside the community of God, we will embrace a distorted purpose outside the community of God. So to help us understand how we begin to live into our true passion, our true purpose as the people of God, today I'm going to invite us to turn to Genesis chapter 2. So if you have a physical Bible with you, go ahead and pull that out. Or if you have your phone with you and want to look it up online, that's fine as well. Now, some of you might also remember, if you were with us clear back in the fall of last year, we did a deep dive into the opening chapters of Genesis. And those chapters are so important because they literally have something to say about everything. These chapters are the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of everything. And so they're incredibly, incredibly important which means it's never a bad idea to go back and dig into the chapters and the verses early on in the book of Genesis. So today I want to invite us to turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, and this is what we hear. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put a man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now, this sounds great, right? You've got gardens and you've got trees and food, and it's all looking so good. It's all looking so beautiful. At this point, the world is as God intended it to be. No sin has come into the picture. Nothing is broken at this point. And then we continue in Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, and we hear a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. Now again, doesn't this sound wonderful? Just let this play out in your mind what this is beginning to look like. With this setup that's just been described here in Genesis, we get the idea that the water is just flowing appropriately into the garden. <laughs> so whether it's too hot or dry, like you don't have to worry about the water of the garden being watered appropriately. It's just being taken care of in this idyllic state here that creation is at this point. A few weeks ago, it was a Saturday when it was literally 90 degrees outside and Jen was out working in a small garden patch that we have behind our house. It was so hot and she was planting flowers and she asked if I would come out and help her. Now, I wish I could say that I was the wonderful, uh, pleasant, helpful husband in that moment. 
Instead, truthfully, I was like, Jen, it's hot. Why are you asking me right now? I'm tired. You're the one who wanted the garden, not me. Now, even as I say that, right, like just such a helpful husband, I realized, like I was not helpful at all in that moment. But our garden needed to be watered by hand because it was so hot and dry at that point. Uh, or for my dad, he grows large uh, fields of crops, acres and acres of crops. And when it gets too dry, he has to pull out a large irrigation system so that they are appropriately watered. The crops are appropriately taken care of. But that's not the case here in Genesis. Here in Genesis 2, there's a wonderful, beautiful river that comes and is taking care of watering the garden for them. There's no flooding. There's no drought. It's just the right amount. It's so good. Again, so beautiful. And then we hear in verses 11 and 12, the name of the first headwater is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of, of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. So again, even more beauty. Just let some of these images come into your mind. The gold, the resin, the onyx, all beautiful. So you've got this imagery of beauty that is unfolding, unending in fact. It's all so good. It's all so wonderful to this point. And then comes this zinger in verses 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Right in the middle of all this unending beauty, God places this tree of knowledge of good and evil and says to Adam and Eve, you cannot eat from that one tree tree. What in the world is this all about? Why this one particular restriction? Why put a, even a temptation of saying you can't touch that tree, but I'm going to put it there anyhow? Why now? What is God doing? Why not let the human beings have the run of the whole garden with no restrictions? Now, I understand it's just one restriction. They get to take care of all these other things, do whatever they want. It's only one restriction. But I'm wondering why God would do this. Uh, it's easy to think in some ways that, God, maybe you're being difficult. Why put a, a, you know, a stumbling block in front of them? Why have any restriction? Why have any limiting? It's easy almost to think that God is creating unnecessary trouble. I mean, God, why are you doing this? God, what's going on here? It looks like you're doing something bad or not helpful at the very least. But what if God is actually doing something good here? Now, here's what I think in light of today's topic of, of being God's community and discovering purpose within God's community. I think that God is placing this one tree in the garden so that in telling Adam and Eve, you cannot eat from that tree. I think God is ultimately doing this to remind them of their purpose as human beings. This tree that they cannot touch will ultimately remind them they are human. And by being human, it means one of two, it means two things, actually. Number one, it means they're not God. I mean, that's obvious. Human beings are not God, but also to be human means this. It means that Adam and Eve and all of humanity are not animals either. They're not beasts. They're not God. 
They're not animals and beasts either. Now, we've considered some of this before, but it bears repeating because it's so significant and it's so important. There are two scholars, Marty Solomon and Brent Billings, and they offer some commentary around what we're talking about here in Genesis today. And as they do this, if we were to go a bit farther in the story here this morning, we would hear of the serpent tempting Eve until she and Adam ate from this one tree that they were not supposed to eat from. A question then to think about is this, what makes Adam and Eve different from the serpent or any other animal for that matter? Is it that human beings have intellect, but animals do not? Well, we can tell from the story that's not true. Both of them seem to have an intellect, so that's not it. Is it that human beings can be in relationship with one another, but animals cannot be in relationship with one another? Nope, uh, we know that animals can be in relationship with each other. Is it that human beings can talk and animals cannot talk? Maybe that's what makes human beings different. Well, according to the account given in Genesis, that's not true either because the serpent can talk, and we could talk about that reality for a long time. So what distinguishes human beings from animals or beasts? When God places humanity in the garden, God makes it loaded with potential. God wants to take creation somewhere. God wants all of creation to live into its absolute fullest potential. And to help creation do this, God puts humanity right in the middle of it to help it flourish. There are already other animals already in the garden. But God desires human beings to have a different purpose to help it to flourish. God creates human beings for God's pleasure, not just creation, but for God's pleasure. So we hear, for example, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, all things were created by God and for God. Many of you might remember the opening line of the Westminster Catechism says the chief end of humanity is to worship or to glorify God. That's what we start to discover is happening with human beings here. So how does God get to this place of pleasure to God being related specifically to human beings? Well, in the most odd way. God says, I'm going to put this tree, this limiting factor, right in the middle of the garden. And I think that God is doing this so that Adam and Eve will come to realize they are not beasts. They are not animals. They are designed differently. They're designed to bring pleasure to God rather than to themselves. So how does putting a tree in the middle of the garden and saying to Adam and Eve, you can't eat from that tree, how does it help Adam and Eve understand their purpose of not being animals or beasts? And more specifically, how does it help them to live into a purpose filled with joy and kindness and holy content? And here's the answer. By helping the human beings know when enough is enough. Human beings uniquely have the ability to say no. They have the ability to not just be driven by their desires. This is not a story about limitations. It's a story about fulfillment. It's a story about contentment. It's a story about enough. So when the serpent comes along, the serpent wants Adam and Eve to believe they're beasts, that they're driven only by their instincts and their desires. The serpent doesn't want them to understand they actually are human beings. So the serpent tempts Adam and Eve with desire. He says, if you want it, you should take it because you deserve it. Take what you want, as much as you want, when you want. Accept it all with no limitations. Do that and it'll make you happy. Do that and it will fulfill you. Have anything you want, as much as you want. 
But do you know who does not deny the desire that they have? Do you know who's only totally driven by desire, endless desire? <laughs> Animals, beasts. No deer says, it would be good for me to pass up on this meal as they come across it in the woods. They don't do that. The deer eats as much as it can. Anytime it comes across food anywhere, it eats it, knowing it may not find food for any time soon. So it eats what it can, when it can, as much as it can. It's driven by its desires. A deer mates when it wants to mate. It's driven by its desires because the deer is a beast. In our house, we have our dog, Duke, and we've talked about Duke before. He is so driven by his desire for food. He would literally eat until he was completely sick if we let him. He's driven by desire. Now, Duke is a beast. He's a cute beast, but he's a beast nonetheless. So the serpent wants Adam and Eve to believe they're no more than beasts and that that is their greatest purpose, that their greatest reason for being is to be driven by their desires. But God wants human beings to know they're more than beasts. They're not beasts. Human beings are not beasts. Human beings are made in God's image. So God says, I need you to know that you're human and you need as a human being to be able to say enough is enough. Why? Because your purpose is more than being a beast. Your purpose is grounded in the fact you're not a beast. You are made in God's image. In scripture, God is frequently noted or called El Shaddai. Literally means the Lord God Almighty. In later Jewish traditions, the term El Shaddai comes to mean other, among other things, the God who said enough. The God who knows when to say enough. In creation, God knew when to stop. God knew when enough was enough. And it was good. It was wonderful. After six days of creation, God paused, God stopped, God said, enough. And God delighted in that enoughness, and it was good. Any good sculptor knows they better stop at the right time. If you hit it one time too many, the whole thing can shatter and crumble. We are made in the image of this God who knows when to say enough. Therefore, you and I as human beings also should say enough. We live beyond our own animal desires. And we know this to be true, that when we pursue endlessly the things that we desire, it doesn't lead to a good thing. It doesn't ultimately fulfill us. It hurts us. It ultimately makes us sick or miserable when we only live as beasts. Think about it. When we eat too much food, we feel awful. How many of us after a Thanksgiving meal or a meal at a good restaurant in which honestly we've just eaten too much, we feel awful? Now, we know that the right amount of water is good, but too much water, endless water, it's not good. It leads to flooding and destruction. The right amount of sun is good and needed for plants and for life, but too much sun leads to burning and scorching. Any addiction that we suffer from comes from our lack of ability to control our desires so that when that happens, it's our desires that end up owning us, not the other way around. We become beasts. So the ability to harness this peace of the divine that resides inside of us, it's not about willpower, it's about trust. 
Will we trust the one who said, I'm gonna put this in front of you, but stop yourself when you need to. Limit yourself when you need to. Will you trust me for enough, says God. The one who says, I want your purpose to be wrapped up in being more than a beast. I want your purpose to be wrapped up in being fully human as I've created you, says God. That happens when we recognize enough. It's not that God's holding out on us. It's not that God is trying to limit our fun. It's not that God doesn't want us to have good things. It's that every single time you and I learn to say enough, we're being reminded of our purpose. The ultimate purpose of human beings is to reflect the image of the one who made us, to reflect the image of God Almighty who makes us. And we reflect this image well when we quit living into our own endless desires, when we discover our purpose in the enoughness. And the irony is, the more we reflect the God who made us, the more we learn to say enough, the more content we will be the more fulfilled we will be, the more delight we will discover because it's there we discover our purpose and our identity in God. When we realize the God of enough, it means we recognize, God, you have given me, given us everything we need. You are enough. Therefore, I am enough. And once we start to realize that, then we begin to realize when we are enough that we are loved and valued and accepted for who we are. And through that then comes the purpose that we live our life out in. So our purpose becomes grounded in the enoughness of God. What if we were to recognize enough in every single thing that we did? What if we stopped living only through our animal desires as beasts? What if we could understand that we are connected to a greater purpose of enough? Even secular companies in our world understand it's really important to be tied to a purpose higher than ourselves. They know that it's not ultimately helpful to say, you do what you want only. Uh, I mean, they push us in that direction, but it's interesting when you look at any company for its employees, they don't just want to sell their products at face value because they know that to only try to sell their products at face value is more to treat us like beasts who consume rather than human beings who live with a purpose. So any product out there, they try to tie some greater purpose to it. So for example, here's just a few uh, Doritos. Uh, you can think about them. We know what Doritos are, the chips, or however you describe them. Uh, they taste great. Their purpose, as they state it, is this. They create fuel for disruption. That's the purpose of their Doritos. They say, our flavors ignite adventure and inspire action. With every crunch, we aim to redefine culture and support those who are boldly themselves. Now, here I was just thinking I was eating a chip or a snack, but look what I'm actually being a part of. <laughs> I'm helping, uh, you know, redefine culture by eating these chips according to the purpose that Doritos gives. Um, here's another fun one, American Express, their purpose, become essential to our customers by providing differentiated products and services to help them achieve their aspirations. But, so um, anytime I'm partnering with American Express, I'm helping achieve aspiration. Uh, how about this one, Ikea, to create a better everyday life for the many people. That's their purpose. Disney says this, the mission of the Walt Disney Company is to entertain, inform, and inspire people around the globe through the power of unparalleled storytelling. 
And then maybe my favorite one uh, is Coca-Cola. They describe their purpose as to refresh the world and mind, body, and spirit to inspire moments of optimism and happiness through our brands and actions and to create value and make a difference. Coca-Cola is a company that focuses on leaving a legacy where it operates. All of that by drinking a soda. <laughs> the syrup and the uh, carbonation is actually helping refresh mind, body, and spirit in the world. Now, why do companies do this? Because they know it's important that to be human being means we do not just endlessly consume like beasts. If our only goal is to endlessly consume the chips or the soda or the entertainment experiences, we're just beasts. So there has to be something greater that we're tied to. God has made us to be more than beasts. And when we worship, when we gather as the community of God, we're reminded that we are loved and valued because God is enough. We are more than consumers. We're called to join with God, to connect with God in our passions for the glory of God. What if we could learn to embrace that kind of mindset? This community, God's church, reminds us week in and week out of what it means to live into enoughness with God. Did you know if you look carefully in the scriptures, we discover that before the tree, so before the fall in the world, the reference given to Adam's partner, it's a word for woman, but not specifically Eve. And the word literally given is a word that go, that's pronounced Isha. It means literally woman, but then worthy person. That's before the tree. The term Eve doesn't actually come in until after Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. In other words, after the fall. And at that point, the name switches from woman in general or worthy person in general to Eve, which means life giver, one who gives life. Why is that important? It means that before the fall, woman, before she was called Eve, was simply known as woman, worthy person. It's just who she was. After the fall, after sin enters into the world, she becomes known not simply for who she is, but what she does. She is a life giver. It's now what she does. So her purpose switches from being who, just a worthy person in general, simply for who she is. It now becomes tied into being a life giver, doing something. What would it look like for us to operate out of a sense of purpose in which we embrace simply who we are, not to be valued for what we can do or produce? This community, week in and week out, reminds us that we are loved simply as children of God, simply as people of worth, and that our worth doesn't come on what we can produce or manufacture. When our purpose becomes based on this framework of who we are, it again changes everything. The other verse that I want us to just reflect on for just a moment is Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, Take delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now it feels backwards, but again, the more we dive into God, the more we actually discover ourselves, the more therefore we delight in God, the more we discover what our own hearts long for. The more we surrender to God, the more we discover and are fulfilled in who we are. 
it all feels so backwards, which means all of us have the same purpose. All of us are called to glorify God, but at the same time, we are all wired differently. We all have different gifts and passions and abilities. So same purpose, different expressions of how we live out that purpose. We could say it this way, pursuing God makes us fully human. Pursuing our own forms of purpose makes us beasts. As I've been thinking about this, a couple of different people have come to mind for me. They all have the same purpose, to glorify God, to live into enoughness. But how they live that out is different among each one of them. So I think of people like Franny. I've mentioned Franny to you before. Franny is in her 80s. There's many things she can no longer do the way she once did. She needs a cane. She has to be in her home most of the time. But let me tell you, she moves faster than the internet. She calls on people, checks on people, prays for people all the time, encourages people. More often than not, she's the one telling me of somebody who needs something. Her famous line is always, when God tells you to do it, you do it. And there's nothing begrudging about it for Franny. You talk to her for just a minute and the joy that she lives in is contagious. She lives into her purpose. She has accepted enoughness and through that, she is glorifying God through who she is. Her purpose shines through. I think of Kathy Cho. Many of you know Kathy. She recently retired as our director of first nursery after 28 years. All that time, she could have just looked at her job as child sitting. She could have just sought to earn some kind of paycheck, or she could delight herself in the Lord. She could live into her purpose with the giftings God had given her, and that's what she chose to do. And as a result of her being willing to do that, to live into the image of God within her, she's literally helped raise generations of children on the strong foundation that we hear in Proverbs 22, 6, raise up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. If you talk to Kathy, it was never a job. It was always a delight and a joy. It's how she reflected her image of God within her. I think of somebody like Brian. Brian currently owns his own business. It all begins and ends with him. Every single decision, every single day, his time is valuable. There's never enough of it. There's always people needing him for all kinds of things. Brian lives 40 minutes from where First Church is located. And yet during Code Blue, our, our homeless shelter that we established earlier this year in the early months of the year, Brian was here on a regular basis, traveling from his home to come and spend the night with our guests. This summer, Brian will be making multiple trips here on a regular basis to help be a part of Transform. He's even then gonna take an extra week to help us go to Maine and launch another Transform in Maine this year. On the surface, there's not enough time for Brian to do everything that he has to do. And yet Brian is able to recognize enough and in that use his skills, his leadership, his handiwork to serve others. He's living beyond his own desires and looking at God and understanding enough. And in that he finds joy and delight. He's delighting himself in the Lord and God is giving him the desires of his heart. What does it mean for you and I? You're not Franny, you're not Kathy, you're not Brian, you are you. I invite us today to live out of a sense of our image of God and recognizing that in Christ, in God, we are enough. In light of God's purposes for you, how are you using your time every day?
What is it in life you're willing to struggle for? What is something God that's asking you to do that is stretching you beyond where you might normally go? What is something God is asking you to do that thrills you, that allows you to delight? I invite us today to pray that God will reveal to us enough and through that discover our own gifts and passions and abilities and how we might fully live into them to live out the purposes that God has for us. The more we delight in the Lord, the more we will understand that God gives us enough, which from a human perspective might feel limiting, but in the realm of God is the most freeing thing, the most purpose-filled reality we can embrace. And may we live that purpose and that identity today. I invite us this day to go forth in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, delighting in the Lord, recognizing when enough is enough, and surrendering to the will of God that we might be fulfilled to live out God's holy purposes in our lives and share that purpose with others. Go in peace and serve the Lord.